0: Welcome to Farming the Depths of Eternal, a constructed podcast all about brewing. Each episode, more or less, we do a deep dive on a card and brew some decks around it and see how far we can take it. I'm Patrick, or Patamaro, and this week we unfortunately don't have our usual guest, but I think we found a suitable replacement um, for the topic at hand, and that is the winner of the last Throne open, uh, I'm Straight from WSG. Uh, Welcome to the show. Really really appreciate you coming on.
1: Uh, Hey there. Uh, Really, really excited to be here for the first time.
0: You know, I kind of wanted to do a recap this episode of what happened at the throne open, and I figured who better to talk about it uh, than, you know, the person who won the last one.
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah. So this is a a pretty exciting, uh, you know, you uh, what did you do? You stamped your ticket to world, I, I guess they say.
1: And as we're gonna probably find out a little bit later uh, in the episode, I'm also once again responsible for getting more things nerfed.
0: How does it feel to deprive 300 people uh, one last chance to qualify for this uh, world championship?
1: Oh, am I at faulted for that as well? So you're saying the that they canceled the um, the LCQ?
0: Yeah, yeah. We what?
1: were wondering if they were gonna just add more spots to to Worlds. I think there was a quite a discussion going on in the main discord about this but uh, apparently since since between allison and myself in the last um the last open uh filled the last spots and they decided to cancel the uh the lcq
0: yes exactly if you had failed to get top four there would in fact be one more seat open yeah, yeah. and
1: uh i have a person who feels know bad about various things that i shouldn't feel bad about so i guess yet yet another thing to feel bad about
0: (laughs) it's actually i thought it was pretty cool um i mean it does suck that there is not a last chance qualifier but i think it was pretty impressive how um this season really showed how consistent some of the top players are and how those players then also consistently uh not only got top fours, but also one, uh, you know, their top four, second top four very often.
1: Yeah, it was, um, there were quite a few repeat players in, in day twos in general. You, you get to see that really often. And I mean, still, there are many players that are very good and happen to not make day two as well. It's, I think it. Um, both things definitely happen. <clears throat>
0: yes very true So uh you know before we get into our uh, thrown open sort of overview and maybe some final thoughts on uh, on the on the throne format, uh, and maybe a look back on how our uh thrown open preview uh, episode was uh Direwolf did release uh, t- today uh, the day of recording here, which is the seventh, uh, an eternal balance update and, uh, many people were clamoring for some updates because it felt like, uh, for a lot of people that the formats had gotten kind of stale and, uh, people were getting a bit disgruntled about it. I do know that you were trying to stay very positive on the main discord and push back against this idea that all the formats are solved a little bit. Uh, you have anything to say about that before we get into the updates?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I think it, when you look at like objectively best cards, then it's it's easy enough to find those best cards. But the format itself, as people are playing a certain deck, allows for you to make counter decks to that deck. Uh, just in general, so it always feels like there's still there's still breathing room. I always think that. You know, there, there's, we have a lot of cards, especially in Throne. There's a lot of interactions that either have not been explored fully, there's, there's, there's always room to, to make adjustments. And I, I can tell you that for, for a fact. I mean, I, people, I know we're preparing for Worlds, right? But people feel like the format is completely solved. But if you sit down and make and you test and you brew some decks with other talented players, you end up coming up with some novel ideas that aren't kind of mainstream and aren't necessarily expected of the format so i still think whenever you take an approach of just complaining that things are out of your hands then they are then they are legitimately out of your hands but if you try to make a difference yourself then there there often is even a small difference that you can make uh and get it a, get a small edge or or yeah make a, come up with a new cool idea yeah
0: yeah i mean i i think that is very clearly true in thrown especially because you know like you said people were you know people were complaining that the format was stale but like if you looked at the open there was a huge variety of decks that not only made day two but also had pretty deep runs into day two and you know when you have that many decks that are able to do that we you can start getting into that you know what we talked about in our preview episode—this like rock-paper-scissors kind of thing, where right um, you can—it's you know you can start. There's an ebb and flow to like what decks are the best on any given weekend. You for me, you know, for the expedition format, it seemed like people very clearly felt that FPS was the best deck, and seemed like people were very worried that. You know, it was gonna be like ten of the sixteen competitors, or some sort of outrageously large number like that, was gonna bring uh, FPS to the expedition portion of uh, of the uh, of world championship. Like before the changes that happened, and a sneak, you know, a bit of a spoiler, they did touch some uh, cards in the FPS deck. Uh, were you? Did you feel? Like, what would you say, percentage-wise, you thought maybe you would play FPS in the World Championship?
1: I think it's probably high up on everybody's lists of, of better decks. I, I think when we, when we talked in uh, one of our earlier episodes about, um, I guess it would be the, the Expedition Open that I top-board, and we were talking about the different deck choices, and we were talking about how everybody was scared of the project, but realistically it wasn't as competitive in expedition as it was in Throne. Um We mentioned that, you know, it seemed like the FPS kind of decks came out of out of nowhere, but they did make a sizable amount of of day two or 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 like top sixteen. But I, I still think that even even if it is a, a very strong deck, you can find alternatives to it. Um, and I would not be surprised if there was still innovation that we saw uh, at Worlds. I'm guessing, just like I'm guessing that for for the Throne uh, Portion project is probably going to be higher percentage and on the higher percentage of players playing it i I would guess that menace in expedition is in the same boat um yeah i think i think it's going to be well represented
0: right um cool so i guess let's get into the the changes here and so uh the two cards that were Well, yeah, there were two cards nerfed and uh, a rule change that was also pretty big. So I guess we'll start with the rule change, uh, which affects, I think, both uh, formats, and that is um, Unleash now includes uh, the copies cost can't be reduced instead of cards with Unleash can't cost less than one.
1: So this effectively killed the strategy of reducing the cost of your unleashed card down to one which was previously the minimum and then playing that card many times over the way that it works now is the new card that gets generated is going to have the original cost of the card as as printed essentially um i suspect that we'll need to get Yet another rules change on this, uh, because now it allows for cards that cost zero to have Unleash. And there are cards in the game that you can make cost zero um, as printed, and therefore you would be able to Unleash them an infinite amount of times. So the cards that I am referring to are Sand Warrior, um, the... 4-2 flyer that says whenever you when when you've played two spells it costs zero essentially it's free to play um and then there's the um the shadow unit that's a 4-2 as well that if you've dealt damage with two different units uh it also costs it also is free so if you give those cards unleashed with a valley whisperer then basically you can just fill your board with a with a card so they fixed certain certain things that you could do with unleashed, but uh in doing so it opened up another door for some other um some other interactions. Which I suspect they're going to just basically add the clause that unleashed cars cannot have less than one and also that it has the original cost. But um but yeah, here we are.
0: Yeah, people are already uh putting out some um Pretty uh, sweet looking lists with like turn five, fill your board with sand warriors and stuff, which you can all do with the um, uh, Valley Whisperer card, which is uh, an uncommon from set 13. And it it gives uh, units with four more attack um, unleashed and it's a five cost four, four. And so that's that's the main way to sort of combo and give cards unleashed, I think.
1: Yeah. And the, the the decks that are immediately impacted by this, uh this change would be an expedition, the decks that were based around the uh musket, um, and then a whole bunch of different unleash cards in the deck, and you were hoping to hit an unleash card with your musket and then play a lot of unleash units. Um and then in throne. Uh, out of our primer uh from the last time we we went over the the potential decks that you could play for the throne open um the biggest uh, the biggest ones that are affected are the uh officer skyline deck, so eccentric officer reducing your uh striding skyline in your deck to a one or two cost unit and then playing lots of those, and eclipse, which is the deck that um I won the last throne open.
0: Yes, yeah, exactly, and uh, possibly also. Um, this is less competitive, but uh, Spire of Shadows would also be.
1: effective. Yeah, that is affected. Like I actually had a pretty sweet list that I've been playing, and I, I almost, I almost got to masters with. I, I kind of paused a couple of days and. I guess with the nerf now, I can't. I unfortunately can't get to a masters with that sweet uh, spire Shed.
0: All right, so then uh, let's go over the uh, the two cards that got nerfed. Uh, one is stonebreaker bow, and that now says contract two, plus two strength this turn. It was uh, plus two strength permanently, and then uh, rickety Ram Cart went from a three or a four one to a three one. And that's the, uh, the card that, when it attacks, it plays an attacking 1-1 uh, uh, Grenadin with, with Taunt, and then has an Entomb to play a 1-1 Grenadin with uh, Taunt. Um, so maybe as someone more familiar than me uh, with Expedition right now, because I honestly haven't played it much the last couple months, was stonebreaker bow a major part of that you know i know when we talked last week about vara um you know roshi had in his stone scar deck this stonebreaker bow um and the the minotaur plus two plus one buff and then also uh, the in, the fire and Scribe card that brings a weapon back from the void. So like he had that combo in his deck, but I was just wondering like how much like how much weapon recursion was there actually in Expedition?
1: Yeah, I don't know if the change was specifically based on weapon recursion. It felt more of a change like you can't just play a bow and play have it be a four one and just keep swinging at your opponent with well, it. the The stonebreaker bow. Nerf, I feel like came a little bit to a surprise to me. Uh, the other nerf, the other the rickety ram card nerf less so, um, but both, I suppose, aid in being able to stabilize if you are on the draw. So trying to make it a little bit easier to stabilize against those uh, fire cards. Although there are still quite a few other cards that punish you for going second. Um, so all these different like contract one drops, for example, um, you know, charging three two on on one for your opponent, and all of a sudden like going second is is pretty miserable um so i I'm assuming that the nerfs both of these are more geared towards that, just making it a little bit easier for a little bit easier to stabilize against uh really aggressive big damage early turns um
0: and so do you feel like these two nerfs do enough to like open up the format a little bit? And give their give other decks some room for exploration?
1: Probably not, and it's not so much that I'm saying other decks are um, I think the big problem guards of the format were the the the, the cards that, you know, are uh, mandatory to be played cuz bow it wasn't even a mandatory card. You don't you don't need to play the menace deck, for example, with Bow in it. Um, You know, there's some pushed cards like Renaya or... probably still Project, but... these two cards, not necessarily... Rickety Ram card has been an incredibly strong card. So I I think I I definitely agree with that one. Stonebreaker Bow, I'm a little bit more suspect about. Um, Fundamentally, though, I think the format is... Centered around different cards, not these these are kind of accompany cards to to build um, a, a strong deck that contains the other mentioned card but but I suppose we will see how the we will see how worlds goes and what comes out of it. Yeah, then there were two cards
0: that were buffed. Uh, one is Wyatt Trashman, which went from a four four to a five four, and this was a set twelve card, um, and it had the ability. It had it was it's also reckless, and then it has revenge, and then it has the ability to pay three to draw a card and discard it at the end of your turn, and then also a sc- skycrag six. Which is quite the reader. It says, uh, "Draw six random heroes and different with different names from your deck. If you didn't have ten or more total heroes with different names in your deck, discard three cards at random." And this is used to be a seven uh, fire time primal card, and now it is a six cost to match the Skycrag six.
1: Yeah, is it? Is this? I'm not like mistaken here, but. Both of these cards have been now buffed a second time, so yeah, I, I do think that the Skycrag Six, though, I still don't know what to do with that card, but I'm sure one day I'll figure it out because it it has a pretty pretty cool um cool text on it um so basically it's saying that you can't just you can't just put six you know differently named heroes in your deck and draw all six of them. And know exactly what six you're getting. Um, it's it's giving you a clause that you now need to you need to be playing ten so that there's some ambiguity as to which ones you're gonna get. Uh, otherwise, you need to discard uh, some cards. So it's kind of interesting deck design. The Wyatt I'm is likely still not gonna be a constructed playable card. There's there's a lot of overlap on five really great five drops, even just in red, um, with uh, Phoenix and Riva. And so I really, I really doubt that that is going to see any play um, in either format. Yeah, not very exciting buffs, I have to say. It doesn't like open up any new design space specifically in this format to to that I can think of. Skycrack Six is kind of just an interesting card all around. It feels like one of those cards that may one day have an application, but isn't that day is not quite today.
0: Yeah, it is funny to have buffed another five cost uh, Fire Fire uh, unit, because, um, you know, it's like Fire is not locking for those in Expedition. So it is just, like, as a five-cost card, hard to imagine a use for it, but it is a cool card with a pretty cool ability, having sort of... I, I like, because there's so few of them in Eternal, um, yeah. uh, reusable abilities mm-hmm. um, that aren't just gated with once a turn, and so this is, uh, this is one of those. Cool. So, yeah, those are the big changes. So we'll see how those affect things if if in any way. yeah, You know, I feel like opinions, as always, are pretty mixed on how impactful these changes are. So uh, we'll just have to see how it plays out in the Open and, I guess, in the queues, because the Open also, or not the Open, the World Championship being sort of a small, a small closed tournament can have sort of its own very different metagame up here as people try to you know, counter what they think will be. You can at least try to predict what other players are going to be playing because there's only 16 players in it.
1: Yeah, no, that's a very fair point. A a lot of players are preparing with each other, so you have to imagine to some extent that you kind of analyze an additional layer um, of stuff uh, within it. You're you're probably not going to expect, like with traditional opens, you expect, all right, I'm going to deal with a lot of aggressive decks in day one. And then when I get into day two, I'm going to be kind of looking to play against these kinds of decks that you don't have that kind of consideration when you're preparing for worlds. Um, it's a closed tournament, so you're not going to run into random aggressive decks uh, throughout like a day one. Uh, they're all going to be much more specifically picked and ch- chosen for, for a purpose. Um, one thing before we go away from the balance patch is that there's also some notable bug fixes which are in here which was uh, pretty cool. Um, So like they fixed the equalize bug that would go through phase ages. They fixed um, some uh, inscribed bugs with uh, cards that target us for the Rakana Overloader. So there were some really good um, bug fixes in here as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's a small patch, but as a, or you know, small balance changes, Um, which is maybe less than what people were, some people were hoping for, but it is great that they're still working on sort of these quality of life and sort of bug fixes and stuff, because I know a bunch of those have been around for quite a while and people have been complaining about them, especially as those decks, you know, those cards and interactions played prominent roles. Like I, I think not only the, um. It seems like the inscribe bug with Tokas Tokas might have been fixed too, which is another thing. Uh, you know that could affect, you know, games even in some upcoming World Championship. So I, I guess right. let's go. Let's move to this Open, or yeah, the last Open. So, uh, what deck did you uh, end up bringing?
1: So I chose to bring uh, Eclipse Combo, uh, which is one of the 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 decks that we listed in our primer.
0: Yeah, and you know, this is a deck that, uh, you know, I was kind of looking at the history of this deck as I was preparing for this episode, and you know, there was one instance in this past open that made it to day two, and that was you, and then in the in the last open, uh, Lights Out Ace brought it, and uh, he was the only instance of Eclipse Combo. And then it turns out um, the open the throne open before that also had a, a single copy of Eclipse Combo. So seems like there's always one player willing to sort of s- sneak into day two and try their hand with this this deck.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a known deck. Um, I think of like some of the reasons it may have may have been like sparse is because it had a a bad matchup into like Vara decks and Vara decks were a, a big part of some of the earlier um thrown opens um less so in this one for a couple different reasons but 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 yeah the, it, it is a deck that has existed in the past it, it is a deck that right we brought it up as like this is a good deck to consider um if you want to play that this kind of like this kind of of deck like a combo deck. Uh, high synergy deck it's a very boring deck i can also add even for me who likes doing like repetitive market combo related things it's just like very straightforward and very boring um i know that some people uh played day one and did make day two with the deck um this time around i'm not sure with for past ones but i do want to mention lights out aces uh version because i did use. Um, Use that as a reference uh, to make some decisions uh, about the deck. I think it started at the beginning uh, more different than than it is now in comparison to Lights Out Aces deck. And I think after some changes, it ended up getting a little bit closer to it. Um, Initially, the the list was kind of thrown together by Apple chips, um, and then I kind of took it and uh, tweaked it to my liking and made some uh, novel additions uh, that ended up working out really well for me. In the
0: Yes, it, it seems like the main difference uh, between yours and Lights Out Aces is they had uh, two Eileen's Favor in their deck and just uh, two Send an Agent, and you took out the two Eileen's favor and went up to four send an agent. Um, And then there's uh, one little difference in the market. And that is you are playing uh, behold the truth and they played secret passage as their way to give them blockable while you were trying to give your uh, nine nines overwhelm.
1: Yeah. So there, there's some, there's a lot of overlapping cards because the nature of the deck uh, has it so that you have like, okay, you start with your 16 merchants, that's standard across the board. You have your four um, free ways of getting Aegis with the Mistletoe Drake, and that's standard across the board. And then you have Unstable Form because it's a removal spell and it's, it's extra cards that you can use to send to the market. So that's pretty standard across the board. And then you have the rest is what we call like flex slots. At the beginning, um, the deck in the market just had more ways of recurring uh, recurring eclipse, but what I was realizing is I didn't really need more ways of recurring eclipse like two different ways of recurring it seemed to be sufficient which which then opens up one slot in the market and then I went off hunting to see what different people were were picking for that slot, and I was kind of thinking through. Through different possibilities. So when when you are playing a deck with just so much market access, then that one card can make a huge amount of difference. Uh, The thing that interested me specifically about Lights Out Aces deck, and um, and when we were doing our primer, I kind of looked at all the different decks. Right when I when I thought to myself, okay, Eclipse, who who made Eclipse decks? Like look at look at the past tournaments, look at the past decks that have been posted in Eternal Warcry. The thing that stood out about light out lights out Ace's deck um specifically was one of the choices in the market um in the secret passage so sitting and thinking to myself and analyzing like why that choice, well, it makes sense pretty much immediately that after you create a board, if there is a board stall in general, you can't necessarily win the game. By trying to attrition your opponent out with your with your nine nines, you can get yourself in positions where they're either able to chump, they have a bunch of deadly units. You're still in a race, and they're killing you with flyers. So, needing a way to close out the game. The notable thing about secret passage is that there's less ways of getting that um, out of the market because less merchants are able to get that. So I was I tried to find a time based. card that would solve some of the similar issues that Secret Passage would solve, especially because with Katra not being as popular, there weren't very many decks that were able to produce the amount of stats as you can with a bunch of 9-9s in single turn. So what I mean by stats is just the power and toughness, total power and toughness that is on the board at any given time is substantially less. Than what you can produce. And therefore, just giving all your units overwhelm uh, should be enough to just win outright the next turn. One of the things that Eclipse allows you to do is just scout off the top of your deck multiple times until you find a time merchant. And that pretty much seals uh, the game in your favor. Uh, So I was really happy with that um, card choice. It ended up winning me. Uh, quite a few games in that tournament.
0: Cool. So what, what were it's like, what caused you to bring this deck? Like how, how did you feel like, why did you feel it was well positioned in the meta to, to bring this as compared to some of the other, uh, combo decks?
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of the decks that has, that is really reliable. Um, it's, that's like one positive thing about it. It's, it's, it's good into aggressive decks. Um, and it's good against project. And that's, that was, those were my main considerations. Um, I was also considering some other options. I was considering some non-combo decks as well. Um, but ultimately I ended up, I ended up with this. Uh, I qualified actually for day two with my second run. The first run ended uh, with five losses. I think I was eight and five. So. Yes, and
0: did you have a different deck for that first run?
1: It was Eclipse as well, but it was not playing four copies of Eremos designs. It was instead playing four copies of All Nighter. And in retrospect, I I realized after doing my first run that I should that I should be playing. Uh, Aramot's designs. So, if I was gonna bring it for a second run, and I was up in the air as to which deck I would bring for a second run, that I should put in for Aramot's designs.
0: The two decks that you that you mentioned, uh, besides for Eclipse combo, sort of has different matchups. Is one was the uh, Project decks, which you know I think unsurprisingly was had the biggest representation of any of the deck archetypes. With being somewhere around one third of the decks that made day two, I think were Project, and then in the uh, top sixteen, I think there were like six or eight pro, you know, six or eight Project decks, and then it, of course uh, Allison made it to the finals and lost to you uh, right. with Project. Um, so yeah,
1: surprisingly. Surprisingly, I did not play against much project at all <laughs> until um I think the first two matchups that I played um well i don't remember about day one matchups, but for day two, the only two matchups I think have were the uh the semifinals and the finals, so I thought that was pretty uh pretty funny
0: yes it, it is um. Yeah, it's funny, you know, so I think it's like, oh, I dodged project, but you, you brought sort of a project killer uh, in a sense. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of hoping for more, um, but but it worked out. So, you know, can't complain. Um, can't complain. So, you know, one of the things we talked about when we were uh, talking about these project decks is just like. I feel like the main difference in the project decks is like how big you go, which is, uh, you know, like whether you play a Nalki Valiant Warrior in there as your five drop. Um, and, and it seemed like it it was pretty split with people. Uh, did you, do you have any feelings about that?
1: Yeah. We talked about this a little bit when we were talking about Expedition Project and kind of like the different approaches that you could take. I think going bigger is just basically more of a response to playing the mirror match. If I were to be honest, when I, when I, I played like Allison version of the deck and do, do Your Best Bears version of the deck, I prefer um, Do Your Best Bears version much more just because of my playstyle. Uh, even though I, I do think that that deck needs quite a few edits, um, yeah, I, I don't like the bigger, the bigger versions uh, as much as the more aggressive go wide uh, versions that can utilize pretty strong market cards like Rapid Development, for example. I, I I'm a little dubious about um, about the other versions. Clearly, they they play tested them like a whole lot. And obviously, it's a little bit better in the mirror when you can go just a little bit bigger than your opponent. That that's usually where it shows up. But then it it makes your matchup against other decks. Um, I don't want to say worse, but it's a it's a different dynamic between uh, what you are doing and other decks in comparison. You can't go under them as much, um, so it makes it makes it a little bit weird, different yeah it yeah it is pretty interesting to me
0: that you know i do feel like you know in the last throne open when project cost uh three so there were a, a lot more of these like hyper aggro all in on abundance list that played you know four and drone and a, a whole bunch more one drops and uh you know that really seems to have disappeared with with the cost increase of project you know do your best bear is the only person of you know six um six there were six uh, project decks in the top 16 and do your best bear was the only person and they only ran or with granite and drone drawn and they only ran two of them you know nobody is running uh that spell that plays two shifted scorpions anymore yeah. Uh, um, so it, it's it's interesting that it to to some extent I feel like the project decks really sort of coalesced around a, a core. You know, like there are a handful of cards that all six project decks ran, but then there's still a little bit of variation. But but it yeah. feels like a lot of that variation is like on the edges and not totally in like changing the play style of the deck
1: yeah that's a good point um it's i think that's like the nature of having the established metagame and you're like this is the deck this is an established deck and they're used and then you start seeing some variations and people experimenting with with how far they can push the edges um and have a slightly different um tempo to the deck and building around that so if you start going a little bit bigger with some bigger units um then the little units you start removing cards that that work well with the little units and the little units stop making sense like if you start cutting your uh, stand togethers then there's less of a reason to be playing go wide little units because Having two one ones against their five five unit is not very impressive uh if you are not doing something else with those one one units um, so it's it's all like one it's all like a domino effect like one tweak like leads to another tweak leads to another tweak and so on and so forth um, but you still want to keep those super powerful cards as much as you can, although I was hearing murmurs from from folks talking about like removing abundance from the deck entirely and then it it really becomes like a a much different deck you're still playing project because you know you want to give your units plus one plus one and you want to have a draw engine but but the deck fundamentally becomes a very different deck um yeah
0: but what's interesting about that to me is you know like the boxer from uh, TRS is one of the people that removed abundance. They made it to the top eight with their project deck. No abundances, but then you like look at the differences in the deck from like the other people, and it's like it's like the same deck more or less. You know, like the the big difference between. Um, Allison in the boxers deck is like the boxers not running abundance um, and is not running crack the earth and then instead is running. Um, is uh, running the uh, annex smuggler, the uh, practice smuggler. And is running uh, creation chance for a little bit more power. Yeah, so like they have different market access. They're not running they're not running abundance and sort of instead they're running Cambrai Law Mage and then um, their market access instead of Crack the Earth is uh, annex uh, smuggler, the Praxis Smuggler. So it's like it's weird because it's like it's not that much different than a lot of the abundance lists, but then like abundance seems like such a key card at least it's been a key card in my mind as giving that like high roll potential to the deck uh it's interesting that uh the boxer chose not to use it
1: well i think i think that's a a little bit of a testament of like really good great players also i think i can give you can give kind of like any deck to the boxer and probably going to play it better than anybody else um better players have More of an aversion to variance, even if that variance is great. Uh, For you, at times, like committing so many resources, let's say, to your abundance and then missing on it, um, or needing to commit all those resources into like a a sweeper effect or something like that, um, is probably something that most really great players don't want. They'd rather be playing on a more incremental, even playing field and then like slowly outplaying their opponents uh, rather than relying on chance. I think I'm like projecting here a little bit, but I have a feeling that that, that may be a little bit in the decision-making process that somebody like the Boxer would be going through and uh, making choices there. Also, if you're starting to become a bigger deck, um just because I also I tested out Allison's version after after the the throne open. I wasn't particularly impressed with abundance in that deck, even though it has Crack the Earth, which works really well with Abundance, and that's one of the reasons those two cards are together. Um it, it just wasn't the same the same card as, as it was in earlier lists. Um so so yeah, like I was mentioning like that domino effect, you you change one thing and it's even though it seems very similar on paper, like they they play out very different in a lot of the different lines that they have and they play very similar in some of the lines that they have which are overlapping. So you're still able to to play your um your sentinel that makes the power burst uh, into like abundance, for example, into not abundance, into uh, project, for example, um, that is still a common line that exists th- through all these def- different decks. However, the way that you approach what you what hand you keep, how explosive you want your first few turns to be, um, your general strategy against certain decks, it may vary slightly, even even though there's only very slight differences between the decks.
0: Yeah, and then the other big uh, difference between the decks um, is the split uh, between the market access. You know, we kind of mentioned the Boxer is uh, running the Annex Smuggler. Um, You you know, most of the people, four of the six, are running the uh, Crack the Earth market now, I think. Again, it goes with Abundance. Uh, and now that fearless crescendo is nerfed and is no longer to cost. They're sort of just looking for another super cheap, um, you know, one of the, sh- crack the earth is one of the strongest sort of market access. Uh, the cheapest, one of the cheapest, strongest sort of ways to access market, uh, now, but, uh, you know, uh, one of your teammates, uh, PT, uh, PTK tempo, uh, kept the, um, the old fearless crescendo uh, market and so that they were the other difference in market access uh, of these decks
1: yeah and i i I still think that like the three cost market the fearless crescendo gives you is a much better toolbox for your for your games it's just that you are definitely a worse abundance deck than you were previously because it costs two instead of costing one Um, and you're not able to for, for for a cost of four power go to market play something out of it, so it changes the dynamic of the deck a little bit, but it's still it's still good. I think all these different versions I would call good um they're just different versions and they have different positives and different negatives and I suspect that a lot of the the differences were just skewed towards preparation of the mirror match more than anything else, but it could have been other other elements as well.
0: Yeah, uh, what, one other question I, I had about a card that's lacking in everybody's list except uh, in uh, in Tempo's uh, market is uh, Exodus. That was kind of a, a mainstay as a really powerful inscribe card. Uh, do you think that people aren't running it anymore because it doesn't fit the deck or just because of the bug uh with Tokaz?
1: I don't I don't think it was related to the bug with Tokas as much as it was just the reaction of not just playing a whole bunch of little token units. Um that might be like one of the first places that you look to trim cards. A lot of deck, decks weren't playing stand together, for example. Um, it, it's it's just the places that you start trimming once you decide you don't want to play go-wide strategy. You want to play something a little bit bigger. Whichever way you start, then the other portion starts seeming out of place. So you start cutting some of the one-drop units or the little token units. You, you cut the, the spell that makes two deadly... Um, Two deadly scorpions, insects, two deadly units. <laughs> um, and uh, and all of a sudden, like, your exodus seems a little bit more um, out of place. Um, yeah. I, I think it's more of a... It's more related to that. Right. Okay, so then the other deck... Uh
0: that had sort of the highest representation was Xenon. Uh, and you mentioned, uh, you know, Katra decks is a big problem for uh, Eclipse combo. And one of the things that I <laughs> uh, was kind of surprised about is, you know, four players made it to the top 16 with Xenon, and not a single one of them played Katra.
1: Yeah, they were all playing the, the time, the Zenin uh deck which is less of a synergy deck and more of a interaction deck
0: well not totally actually it is uh because Ilaria's deck and buckwheat's deck um were both playing Tazbu.
1: oh okay
0: and and even crazier to me is like Alaria was playing Ikaria First Reaper in their deck.
1: Yeah, interesting.
0: Yeah, it was like pretty surprising to me because um, you know, so they even when they were going this very heavy shadow direction, they sort of stayed off of this combo plan and kind of just went with this like probably heavy anti project plan
1: yeah yeah i mean i'm surprised to not for them to not just be playing i'm, I'm sure you could build that deck to play Katra. <laughs> Um i'm not quite sure what they thought through although like i from the word on the street is that buckwheat uh makes some interesting novel choices uh oftentimes and i'm sure he's got they have really good reasons for their choices, um, but I haven't interacted with them in a way that I could understand them more deeply, but I am a little bit surprised. If, if you are a Shadow-heavy Xenon deck not going after the, the Kotra plan, she doesn't have to you know, do that much for you. You don't have to be that committed to it for her to be good, so I'm a little bit surprised that that wasn't a part of their deck I just I ran into more of the time xenon decks, so I see like it's like dark Avenger was I think in my top eight um and I ran into some other uh time xenon uh decks and a varying aggressive uh aggression levels uh Dark Avengers was probably the most aggressive deck uh that I ran into that was xenon based
0: you know they're running. Waystone Igniter, Muldermuck. They get the Twin spitling. Yeah, it's it's just pretty interesting. You know, in, in the show notes, I have a link with... Because uh, in Eternal Warcry, you can kind of compare um, the four decks together. And they are just like... There are a couple. Or actually, yeah. Um, the only card that all four of them play... Are for exploit that's how different the four top 16 uh, zine index are
1: yeah i do i do really like um the D- dark avengers list i i did not i did like it quite a bit and i thought it was very interesting uh combining some cards with with a very powerful um Market Spell and Rapid Development. I think Rapid Development is like one of those cards that just closes out games. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see it, to see their deck with it, their ability to kind of use cart and call to to keep the board uh, present through a, a sweeper effect and then just close out the game right afterwards is uh, clearly very effective. And I, I, I did spectate some the matches against the Huru control deck. And uh, it seemed like a very, very effective plan against that deck.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then it seemed like Buckwheat, uh, you know, they have the the um, twisted farmer Tazbu sort of combo that I know Gozu uh, played a whole bunch in their deck. Yep. Um, so kind of going for their value that way instead of ramping with Katra and stuff. Anyway, so I thought that was pretty interesting, and I probably uh, fortuitous for you that all of these Xenon decks kind of went away from Katra for some reason.
1: Yeah, the the thing about the Katra deck as it was built to be like a synergy deck is it used to be better against Project because it had the ability to, to go for like an all-in sweeper in in the end of an era in the market, but since Project was adjusted to a four-cost card, it basically would just wrath all their units and leave the Project projects intact, so it it really reduced the effectiveness of, of that, that matchup, I think, uh, just by that small change.
0: Yeah, exactly, and so then that's why a lot of these Xenon decks ended up being, I don't know if Hate Bear is the right term but you know is playing a a lot more you know they're playing the cards like tokaz they're playing like the cat that destroys relics so they have a lot more relic hate and a lot more just like removal and and hate units in their deck
1: i think a lot of people also realize that just the straight Katra deck as it was that wasn't even playing exploits was just not very good into uh synergy decks as well um it is good against Eclipse specifically, um, but it's pretty bad into all the other combo decks. Um, yeah, it's a pretty unique case as to why it's good against Eclipse. Um, so it's it's kind of, yeah, it, it wasn't, it didn't feel like the right deck choice for the tournament.
0: I I, I see that. Um, Yeah, then I I think for me, uh, kind of a surprising... There were three of them in the top 16 or maybe two and Sunnyvale just missed the cutoff, I guess. And uh, that is uh, there are three people playing uh, Hurukira and that's Sunnyvale, WatchWolf 92, and Stormblast. And uh, Hurukira uh, almost you know, it's pretty settled. You know, there are a few differences in these decks, but I was just more surprised. I know we you had mentioned it in the primer, and um, a Hurukira deck um, piloted by Stormblast uh, did pretty good in the last Throne Open, but I felt like people thought that Hurukira wasn't actually that good. Um, but And the fact that three of the best you know, some of the best players played it and then did well. Yeah, It's like, again, the question I feel like is still unresolved in my mind on whether Hurukira is actually good in this meta or these three players are just particularly great with uh, this deck.
1: I think it's more the latter than the former. It's not that Kira is just good in the meta. I don't think anybody can pick it up and just play it at the skill required to to do well with it, I think it's a very complex deck. The reason that it is complex is not just because it has a lot of different choices to make, but it can act um, i think we'd, like we talked about this uh briefly, so i don't want to get in too much into this if any of the listeners you you guys want to find out more about these different decks in the, the throne primer episode that we did we We go more deeply into each of the decks and how they work but Kira. Is a deck that can act as the aggressor, and it can act as the uh, control deck until it needs to be the aggressor. So, decks that have that dual nature are complex because you really need to understand every position and, and when the the pendulum swings. When is it your time to be the aggressor? So that the nature that that shift. Being able to perceive it and then being able to at all times have all those different options and little choices that you can make at the back of your your mind is is kind of one of the big reasons why that deck is so complex. Um, it is just a powerful deck in general. Um, you know, being able to target your your two-drop unit with a bunch of different one-cost spells and just keep drawing and drawing and drawing cards is is a very powerful effect so it's been in the format for a very long time um and it depending on what other decks are in the format it goes up and down in both popularity and kind of effectiveness but i think you know Watchwolf is already qualified for worlds uh he's an incredibly good strong player Stormblessed is an incredibly strong player almost qualified for worlds this this open if if they if they had won their top four match basically they would be in in Allison's uh, place where the two of us would be uh, qualified. And then um, Sunnyvale as well is like an incredibly strong player. So I think I think it's more the nature that they are so strong rather than the deck is well positioned, but it is just a good deck. And that's kind of why it was in our primer.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of interesting to me because like I do feel like people talk very dismissively about... Kira sometimes and how it's just like not a good deck and that it's just like it's just because these players are so good that they win with it. But the fact that these players bring it to every single thrown open and then have results makes it feel sort of closer to what you said where... Yes, it takes a lot of skill to pilot, but because it's doing a fundamentally strong thing, like even if it's not well placed, you can still do well if you've, you know, chosen to master this deck. Like this seems like an incredible deck to choose to master because clearly by the results of like Sunnyvale and Stormblast, if you put the time in, you can just like no matter what the meta is, you can (laughs) you can bring this deck and do all right.
1: Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's been like in the format for so many seasons, and you look at Eclipse, and you're, and people are thinking to themselves like, "What what deck do I want to like craft into like playing in, in Throne or something like that?" And honestly, when people were saying they should craft the 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 deck that won, I was like, "I'm pretty sure that it should get nerfed, and it will get nerfed. You probably shouldn't commit those resources." Um, versus like any deck that I've been playing, it's almost like it's a one trick pony. It it comes up in one in one event and like I play it and great, I do well or not well with it and then it's gone. But Kira has been in the format for ages. <laughs> so if you want to make a deck and just like master it and, and have it be available to you kind of forever, I feel like that, that deck is, is a deck to, to look at.
0: Yeah and uh, sort of why I just <laughs> uh while we're on the topic of huru decks you know um huru control did make an appearance in um let's yeah in uh top 16 uh with portish uh brought uh huru control and there were four copies in the top 83 that's everyone who made day 2 and all four players had the exact same list with not a single difference except uh, one player in the market played a Scourge of Frost home instead of Reread. How does that happen? Can you explain this to Uh, me?
1: Yes, this is uh, my teammate, uh, the Bergen's list. I think he's just known for being the control player of Eternal. Um, And I'm pretty sure that this is just card for card, his list uh, that he played in a previous Open um Pretty. Th- that's pretty much how you end up <laughs> with
0: that yeah no so this is maybe because right in the previous open they got thrown open i think they got second right and then right that's how they qualified for worlds and so i guess these guys yeah, that's correct these people were trying to run it back but just blows my mind <laughs> like it's just like you look yeah. at that's a lot of every other deck you know there's people like just tuning and tweaking here and there and then like huru control players are like the borg and they've like all assimilated the deck
1: well it's so testament to i guess uh the bergen for for building an incredibly tight tight list um that nobody can find improvements on um but i think it's more like when we talked about Xenon, like the, the different decks were fundamentally different. Um, they weren't the same deck. Uh, and then you look at Project and I, we could argue again that even though there's small variations, they are fundamentally different decks. If the whole tempo is different, this deck has the same, all of these have the same tempo. It's, I'm going to draw out the game as much as possible, try to control everything that you're doing and try to go over the top of you. Uh and that's what that does. So the list is built very specifically for that and to deal with certain um metagame uh, decks that exist out there. So if there were variations, there there might be like a market card that they deem as like this is an important addition that may sway my ma- a certain matchup, but but overall it's just it's just a straightforward list that's got Removal spells, like the best removal spells that you can play within the list, within those two colors, for that kind of deck, for like fast removal spells, so that you can keep your card draw up. Um, and if you don't, if you don't kill, if you don't kill something, you're going to draw some cards. If you don't draw some cards, you're going to kill something, and you're going to get yourself up to uh, storm plating and um, and try to win that way, or in one case, um, grab a. Scourge of the Frost Home from the market, although there's also Savage Incursion as well to as a as a finisher. Yeah, exactly. And I think
0: people's you know th- there are some prominent players that have said this deck is unplayable, and uh, and I I feel like the f- general feeling is this deck is not great into project, but you know you know people brought it and seem to do okay. You know, Portish is a- another one of those players that's very strong. They're also qualified for. Uh, worlds already, um, and so they're a very strong player, and they made it prefer this with this deck. But you know, this is a, I feel like another one of those decks that people constantly criticize as unplayable, and yet it keeps kind of poking its head out.
1: Yeah, people have a tendency of doing that. Um, like I know we we talk about it in like very different ways. I I don't prescribe to the dismissiveness of it. You can say like it's not, it's not well positioned right now, or you know, it's I don't I don't want to play this kind of this kind of deck in the meta game, or it's not my style of deck to play. But I I'm a person that always blames myself if something goes wrong. I don't blame other things. I don't blame luck or other events. I find it really difficult to believe somebody saying like oh, I'm not doing well with this, and therefore it's not a good deck. Um, it, like this goes back to like when you were mentioning Kira, for example, and that people keep bringing that up, in that and that context. Like I, I don't do well with this deck. It's not a good deck. Um chances are you're probably doing something not correct. Like <laughs> again, there's a lot of like self analysis that needs to happen to to improve and not dismiss dismiss the deck. I think like that goes back to Combre Equalize. I know that we've had this conversation before where people are like that's not a good deck. Equalize is very is a very powerful card inherently like so i yeah maybe you can say it's not well positioned again but you can't just say that it's not a good deck
0: right all right and then um the the other deck that that kind of popped into top uh top 8 and top 16 is uh stone scar another deck we mentioned in the primer is like another sort of aggressive option that um people can play though it is kind of interesting um looking at the different uh stone scar decks that made it into the top 16 and then a couple more that um made it into uh the top 83 or day two you know, Sono, who made it the highest into the top eight, they had a pretty... They had the most aggressive version. You know, they're the only ones playing the four Battlefront Dasher. They're playing uh, four Shakedown uh, on top of four Exploits to deal with a bunch of these Synergy decks as well as probably trying to grab a grab a project. Um, but yeah, they have a pretty ad- ad- aggressive deck. They have four <laughs> Rickety Ram carts. Um... For Inferno Phoenix, so they're really trying to put the pressure on and do sort of typical Stone Scar things. The other uh, three players, and even um, Chom Dogs, I think their name is, who made it into top sixteen, they're like playing like Zoe Conqueror of Stone Scar and Tazbu, and going like much bigger, controly kind of Stone Scar, which is uh, pretty interesting to me. But then they have like interesting things like they're playing two marionette cross so they are you know they, they do have like big aggressive units it's not just control but uh, it's kind of interesting take on the
1: deck yeah they, they they I don't know whose list they're referencing but clearly all three players looked at a past still scar stone scar with still list in it um, and kind of went went with that direction. It's interesting to see, yeah, playing something as big as Yo in, in the format. And I'm, I'm surprised to see it. But it's understandable. It fits it fits the overall theme, let's say, of the way that the deck is built. And And I'm, I'm guessing that a big part of it is that they're just falling on the back of Renaya for being able to get them into the late game, um, like as Renaya can just stabilize the middle game uh, very effectively. I'm surprised to not see Renaya in Sono's deck, even as the aggressive deck. Like, I would much rather play Renaya over Vara, for example. Um, but overall, I, I mean, yeah, the, the three Silscar decks are very, very, very... Um, the, ver- the, the variations between them are, are just very few and far apart. Uh, almost reminiscent of the... Um, of the Huru control deck, in fact, <laughs>
0: um, all yeah. these
1: decks are like very close together.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it looks like maybe some of them were teammates, or that they. I don't. I don't know if this is maybe what Male's deck looked like. I know Male, you know, had success last format or last open with this uh, with the Stone Scar deck. It but.
1: wasn't quite Male's, if I remember off the top of my head. Um, although, yeah, it. It it must be somebody else's um like tournament deck that, that was used as a as a heavy reference here. Um for, for, for these decks. I don't think all of these folks are on the same team. I did I was the one who knocked out uh Chomdog in top sixteen. Um so I do remember playing against that deck.
0: You know, as Eclipse, would you have been more scared to play against, like, Sono's deck as a more aggressive deck, or do you Definitely.
1: think? Definitely. They, Sono's deck is playing, like, eight, eight discard spells and a clock that is, like, very aggressive. Um, the, the matchup against the Silscar deck just felt very, very simple and very straightforward. Uh, it was very easy to approach in comparison to like needing to worry about my life total and also cards in my hand, and also other So, I was uh, pretty fortunate, I think, with some of my matchups, um, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, the, the, this scar deck is pretty, I just like, I don't, like I don't see what about it like makes me think like, oh this is really good into Project or Anything like that? Like I just wonder why why you would want to go bigger, and then when you go bigger, you then have to deal with uh, like the card advantage and stuff of the value of Project X and stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the the strength of a, why a deck like this could still exist in the current format where it was got a, got a little faster is just ranaya ranaya is an incredible power, incredibly powerful card. Um, in all the formats. I um, think we'll likely start seeing a lot more of that card uh, in general.
0: And, and what is it about Renaya that's so powerful? Uh, is it just the fact that she's a, a good blocker that gains you life? Because like, there's nothing in this deck that allows you to sack off of say like a breath of Mivix.
1: There's nothing really that allows you to sack off of breath of Mivix in general because you would require it would require you to be able to do that without paying any power. So something that would be in play already and it would allow you to sacrifice for zero, just because you contract yourself basically for for a turn at at a minimum. So you 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 have this like incredibly high contract cost for doing it. The benefits of it is that you immediately, with few exceptions, you end up getting a two-for-one on their best units. So if you're playing against like the non-token version of Project, for example, if you're playing against the slightly bigger version of Project, grabbing their biggest unit and making a trade with their other biggest unit is an incredibly strong play uh, in general. If you don't want to do that, like if you, you don't have a positive, if you don't have some kind of positive uh, effect for your contract um, ability, then it's just an incredibly well-statted unit. It's just 3-3 three, three for 4 that has great, abil- great abilities on it, and then on top of that, it gains a boatload of life. So it makes it almost impossible for like um, a load-of-the-ground unit deck to, to race. Um, they they can't just attack their units into your units and trade to try to push damage like typically uh, decks that try to go wide on you would be able to do because they just give you a whole bunch of life every time they do that so th- it just shuts down things by itself it's um it's a yeah it's a very strong card.
0: All right, so that more or less covers all the decks that made to the top 16. Uh, you know, there were a few other decks um, that we kind of talked about that made it into, you know, day two. Like, there were the the four-plus faction um, creation decks. You know, none of them made it to top 16, but there were a bunch sort of right below that line. Apple Chips, you know, was playing uh, their usual sort of menace uh style deck Um, uh you know a couple uh really good players um played uh elysian uh and not the sort of the most famous of the elysian decks the uh the spell heavy uh, elysian decks but we're just playing like elysian midrange you know you know spifferific collector and uh someone else played that, which was uh pretty interesting
1: yeah that was uh I can speak a little bit about that deck just because it's my teammate specific, so he created that deck and um and was playing it on ladder uh, quite a bit. um I think he queued in with Katra for his first run and didn't make it, and then played um played the Elysian deck for his second run and made it to day two and then collector is already um qualified for worlds and he hangs out um in our discord quite a bit so he he, he was looking at spiff playing the deck and decided he wanted to bring it as well it has it has some pretty strong elements that it's doing um if it it kind of falls back on that rapid development plan that I was that I was talking about being just a really strong card, um, along with some other uh, concepts like mom making lots of little flying units. So, it it is a it is a cool deck overall. It uh, it has a, a decently high power level and it's it's quite interesting. I, I'm there's quite a bit of um, potential I think in that deck. Uh, It's very different from Elysian spells like you're mentioning. Yeah, and now that I'm looking at it, um,
0: yeah, it has played, you know, because there were a few people, um, this was a while ago, but uh, Mail, you know, frequently bring (laughs) bring him up because they do brew a lot of decks. You know, they were messing with these uh, Elysian decks for a while, a couple months ago, um, with uh, Danica, which this deck has, but You know, this deck is pretty interesting because, you know, it is a Mother of Skies deck. It's playing Majestic Skies. It's playing uh, cards like Nesting Raven, which um, uh, synergize with both of those cards, proccing Mother of Skies and uh, Majestic Skies. So this is, you know, this deck has, is pretty cool because it's not just like chonky Elysian units. It has a little bit of other stuff going on right Uh, is there did did spiffrific feel like this was okay into project uh like what why did why were they playing this on ladder because i know for a long time they were playing like four faction um uh four faction uh creation project Uh, like what made them move off of a deck like that to this Four,
1: four faction five faction we five faction was dubbed skittles um I, you know, he plays, like, different kinds of decks, and sometimes it just goes with the feel of what you're enjoying. I think that's an important aspect. You you tend to do better with things that you enjoy if you're forcing it mm-hmm. you don't do as well. Um, I don't know if there was a specific, you know, rationale that it's good or bad against projects specifically, but if he's able to, you know, he was rank one with it on ladder, if he's able to winning then it's just something that he can he can bring feel comfortable playing over a lot of games, not make mistakes, not have to like overstress and think about it. you tend to do better just in general.
0: All right, cool. so were there any uh, final decks you wanted to call out and review before we end the show?
1: Not any final decks I don't think. I think we covered kind of like everything. I think our primer strangely enough hit the majority of the decks that, that made day two with some some exceptions um, here or there. Uh, I did want to clarify, um, a lot of people were, were, were wondering if in the uh, semifinals, um, if the line I took with uh, discounting my uh, Mistville Drake and putting it on top of the deck was intended as a five head, super thought through uh, way of playing around my opponent's gender speaks or if it was a misclick i just want to confirm that it was in fact a misclick um and uh yeah other than that i don't have anything else to add
0: all right cool so shall we shall we end the show there yeah well uh thank you again straight for coming on i think uh, next week or next episode we'll be back to our our regular guest. Uh, hopefully they can, uh, you know, step up their game to bring this kind of like high level analysis and content that you were able to bring this week. Uh, I really appreciated this sort of step up in quality you were able to bring.
1: Right. I, I, I was glad to be here. And then and maybe I'll coach the uh, other host um, a little bit. Step up their game.
0: Well, uh, as always, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, the, best ways to do that is to give a thumbs up to Raven Dragon's posts about the shows on Reddit. Uh, you can support our Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash farming eternal. You can uh, join our discord. We have a discord farming eternal where we can, you can talk about the show. Uh, you know, it's very much mostly a draft focused uh, discord because uh, we talk about draft a lot on the show. Not recently, but you know, but we, um, oh, we're always willing to talk about Constructed. There's also the WSG Discord uh, where you can find uh, Straight and uh, other people uh, who sometimes talk about the show, too. So lots of places to find us. Uh, yeah, so thanks for listening, and have a good night, everyone.
1: You're supposed to say good night. Good night.
0: Okay. Well, I, you're fired. We're back to the old host next week.
1: All right.